Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Morning. Amen. It's great to see everybody and welcome to our visitors. It's wonderful to have you in the house of the Lord. Amen. Again, it's been a phenomenally busy week on all fronts, but uh, God is good. Amen. God is just awesome and uh, the needs of the kingdom are growing almost weekly as we speak. And uh, I want to encourage you, have a servant's heart. Seek to serve wherever you can. Seek to aid, seek to enlist to facilitate, to uphold something. Remember the text I shared with you in First Chronicles 10, uh, 11. It says, men came to David. And the Bible says in the King James, they strengthened themselves by strengthening David. They realized this man needs to be strong, for in his strength lies our strength. So you strengthen another to strengthen yourself. Paul concerning Timothy said in Philippians, I have no one like him, for you know his proven worth. How that? He said this, like a child serving his father, he served the Lord. A son serves the father, and in doing so, serves the Lord. So I want to encourage you, seek to, to help the vision wherever you can, in, in whatever small way you can. As you do that, you give strength to your own, your own self. You know, David's men were far more superior than him. By natural accounts, David killed Goliath. One of David's mighty men killed a giant that made Goliath look like a child. Right? I shared this with you before. David killed a bear with his bare hands. Okay, play upon words. A bear with the bare hands. But one of David's mighty men killed a bear in a pit in the middle of winter. <laughs> right? David killed lions. Um, one of David's mighty men defended a small portion of a field against an entire army of Philistines. One of David's mighty men fought so focusedly, the Bible says after the battle, they could not take his hand off his sword because his hand clung to his sword. And his grip was so strong on his sword, they could not uh, separate his sword from his hand. It speaks to the intensity by which that man fought the battle. And I want to encourage you in the season, you need to be intensely focused, right? Intensely focused upon the accomplishment of God's purposes in and through the house of the Lord. Amen. So it's marvelous to have everyone again. I'm going to continue on the series on grace. And we, we're speaking specifically this morning, and we will continue next week, about the distinctions between pride and humility. I said to you that humility attracts the grace of God, while pride repels the grace of God. Just for the sake of our visitors, there are two key scriptures. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, which says, all of you be clothed with humility. In other words, dress yourself with humility in respect to one another. For, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So God will resist the proud person. But he will give tremendous grace to the 
humble person. First, or James 4 verse 6 says, But He gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Two New Testament scriptures say almost the identical thing, that God stands in active resistance to the proud man, but He will give the humble man great grace. And we share extensively how that heaven cannot contain God. Heaven is a created reality outside of which God always existed. So before there was heaven, there was God. So the thing that He made cannot contain Him because He's bigger than the thing that He made. The Creator is bigger than the created thing. So God laments the fact that there's nothing created, even human hands that build a human temple. When Solomon built his temple, even Solomon said, the highest of the heavens cannot contain you, how much more, how much less this temple that we have made with our hands. But God says, heaven is my throne, not my home, my throne. Heaven is not God's home. Heaven is a place from which He rules. Heaven is nothing more than the locality or the position from which God expedites His purposes. So we pray on earth, let thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. So prayer seeks to align heaven's intentions with the earth, or earth's intentions with the intentions of God in the heaven. So God says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. How can you then build me a house that can contain me? But he says, to this man will I look. I'm quoting Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 and 2. But he says, to this man will I look. He who is of a contrite heart and a humble spirit. So I said to you, what heaven cannot contain, a humble heart can retain. Think about the sheer impossibility of the heavenly realm to contain the fullness of God. Yet God says, by comparison, a human heart that is humble can contain what heavens cannot contain. Heaven cannot, I, heaven cannot it's impossible for heaven, for me to fill heaven in my awesome grandeur, in my fullness, but I, a humble heart I can fill, okay? So a humble heart is a greater realm than the heavenly realm. It has the capacity to receive the fullness of deity in it. God says, to this man will I look, okay? So he says, watch me quote the scripture again. God says, if you are proud, I resist you. But if you are humble, my grace is attracted to you. Uh, the humility attracts grace. It's like a magnet. When God views from the heavens and He looks for humility in men, He looks for something to which is so like Him, because God is humble in heart, not so. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all you are heavy laden, uh, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why? He said, because I am humble. Jesus said, I am humble and I'm meek in heart, meek in spirit. So you need to learn from humility. Learn of me, he said, right? For I am humble and meek in my disposition. So humility is something in God that's an eternal disposition. I shared with you, in deity, there's an eternal servanthood. Always has been. God is humble in his whole disposition. So when he sees humility in men, there's something in men that is so like him to which he's attracted. Kelly Varner said this once when we first came down. 
a statement I could not understand, only in time I could understand it. He said, God is looking for God. God in the heavens is looking for God on the earth. But the statement simply means, God in the heavens is looking for something so like himself in the earth to which he can be attracted to. And were not you and I made in the image of God? Right? So God is attracted to Godness in the earth. Okay? So as he is, so are we in this world. Right? As he is, so are we in, in this world. Um, I want to start now, and this might take a few, or two or three weeks, and I thought we'll simply gloss over it. In my original note, I had the points listed in point form, that we could just run through, and I'll leave it with you to meditate. But I feel the Lord is saying to me um, in this week, you cannot gloss over this. Now, here's the deal. and This is what I want you to focus on for the next few weeks. Watch. If pride is repulsive to God, it's deplorable. It's disgusting. The Bible, the basic, the Bible in basic English, there's a verse which I'll quote in a moment. It says, pride is disgusting to him. If he sees it in men, and it's such, it's, it's so off-putting, it's so nauseating to God when he sees pride in men, that he, he distances himself from the proud man. In fact, he actually opposes the proud man, the Bible says. But if on the other hand, he sees the opposite of pride, which is humility, and is so attracted to the humble man, we need to be ensure that every residue of pride in us is thoroughly expunged. God must take out all the residual pride okay, in us. Now, I want to encourage you, just with a few um, introductory remarks, I said to you that humility is Godward, inward, and then manward. Not so? Humility starts with a view, a correct view of your relationship to God. The proud man doesn't need God. The humble man acknowledges his need for and his dependence on God. And he will always not live independently of God, but wants to be attached consistently to God, expresses his need for God. But the proud man doesn't do that. So humility starts with your need for God, not to live separately from him. When you have a correct view of yourself in reference to God, you then have a correct view of yourself inwardly in reference to your estimation of who you are. Okay? When that is in place, when your your view of yourself in reference to yourself is, is proper. That By that I mean, you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Neither do you think of yourself lesser than you should. But you think of yourself soberly, the scripture says, according to as God has measured to every man the measure of grace or faith. Then, then that is in place. When you come to other people, you will have the correct view of them. Firstly, because your relationship to God is, is in place. Your view of yourself is in place. So when I meet another brother, I don't put myself above him in pride. In fact, I will publicly esteem him as better than myself all the time. Right? Humility and pride is often in the scripture referenced in reference to other people. So it says, be humble one to another. Clothe yourself with humility towards another, it says. But I cannot be humble toward another if I'm not humble before God and I'm humble inwardly having the correct appraisal of myself. If you think you are it, 
You can take the reference down, Zephaniah 2.15. It's there. God talks to a whole city and says, Woe to that rebellious city. You think you are it. Hmm? A lot of people think they are it. <laughs> they are God's gift to humanity. There's nobody like them. God says, I will bring you down. Right? Pride is a very, very uh, subtle and dangerous disposition to adopt. I want to encourage us. We must, we must guard vociferously against it. That is true for humility. It's true for pride. Watch. Pride starts with a correct view of yourself in reference to God, a correct estimation of yourself inwardly, and then the correct estimation of your brother outwardly, if we're going to master this thing. Okay? And so it's, it's very, very uh, critical. The, the Hebrew word and the Greek words, I won't give you them because of, of time, much I want to get through this morning, literally mean, the Greek is hupophainos. It literally means over and above, or to shine and show. Put those two concepts together. If you're proud in reference to another, you always put yourself over and above them to shine above them. Right? You position yourself over and above them. The Greek word for pride is tufo, which literally means to envelop with smoke, that is to inflate with self-conceit, to be high-minded, and to be lifted up. Uh, it's amazing, this Greek word means to swell and to be enveloped with smoke. To swell or to be inflated with. Okay? Have you heard of the term, he has an inflated opinion about himself? Right? Um, it's an inflated opinion. It's over and above what should be. The Bible says, no man must think more highly of himself than he ought to think. In other words, there's a measure by which you ought to think. But if you, you think beyond what you ought to, you venture into, you venture into pride. Now you're going to be amazed at how subtle pride is. Now you are thinking there and saying, wow, that's for Mr. X. The statement that Randolph just said, that's for so and so. Don't do that throughout the next few sessions. All that I'm going to say to us is for all of us. I was repenting like crazy when, I, when the Lord gave us this list that we're going to work through. Lord, forgive me of that expression of pride. You know why? No one readily admits to their pride. Okay? No one readily admits to their pride. No one can perhaps readily see their pride. It takes the Lord to unveil it to you. Right? For most, most often, it's a blind spot to most people. I'm going to be determined to get rid of any trace of pride in me. Why? I don't want God to oppose me. I must make sure no pride because God must not oppose me. On the other hand, if I can master humility, I can be the receiver of grace. Now, we all want more grace, not so? We want more grace, so we must uh, make sure that pride is given notice. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, pride is listed as one of many of last day sins. Sins that will be most prevalent in the last days. For example, let me read the text. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be. And then a whole list of sins are given. In fact, there are 18 given, accounted. 18 characteristics of what men will be like as the age closes. Now listen to the list. 
For men will be, watch, lovers of self. Right? Have you ever met, uh, met a person that loves themselves? They're just in love with themselves. Right? <laughs> they think they are it. Right? Doesn't that smack of pride? Don't you think that's a proudful statement? You love yourself. Right? In a carnal sense. So the, this whole list starts off with a prideful statement. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, boasting. Is not that an indicator of pride? Right? Boasting, arrogant, this is not pride. Arrogant, uh, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. I'll prove to you how ingratitude is a serious indication of pride. Ingratitude, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Hey? Have you ever met a person that is irreconcilable? There are some people that are ineducable. means unable to be educated. Past the place of learning. But there are some people that are irreconcilable. Who's met an irreconcilable person? <laughs> I hope you're not the one that you have met. Right? It's amazing we're dealing with something now. It's, it pains my heart. When you reach out to a person and the person simply demonstrates to you, I have no inclination to relate to you. None whatsoever. And you want to heal the relationship. It's a satanic position when the person goes to that level where they don't realize that no matter how much we preach, how much we say we are sons of God, if we don't have the capacity to demonstrate love and reconciliation, we, we, we've lost our credibility as sons of God in the earth. Okay? Then it says, and you know what? What keeps people from not reconciling is a spirit of pride in them. Right? It takes humility to reconcile. Malicious gossips. You not just gossip, you gossip maliciously. Gossip in itself is bad, but when you gossip, and your gossip is loaded with destructive terms, um, um, to really destroy the person over which you are gossiping. Without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, it says. Proud, arrogant, conceited. Lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Holding a form of godliness, or, but they have denied its power. And now the verse ends. Avoid such people. If ever you have biblical grounds... To bring circumspection or discipline to your range of relationships. It is this text. The text says it in the, the NIV is very blatant in this text. In verse 4 of this passage, it says, have nothing to do with them. Right? That's a hard position to adopt. But it's so dangerous to entertain close affinity with any one of the persons on this list. Because that spirit can impact you. Right? So you must be careful with whom you walk. You must love everybody. Don't hate anybody. In fact, even if you have an enemy, you must pray for them. Not so? But you must be careful with whom you walk closely. So, have nothing to do with them tells me if, and I don't have the time to demonstrate this. It could be a separate study on its own. How that you could link every single one of these descriptors to the proud position. 
to pride. So when the scripture says have nothing to do with them, I receive that as distance yourself from that mentality. Don't let that encroach upon or instill itself within you as a person. It's saying to me that none of those must be present within your life. Okay? Yours and, and my life. Now, do you remember the text in Isaiah 66 verse 1 and 2? I quoted it a moment ago. God is implying, watch, the heavens cannot contain me. Right? The heavens cannot hold me, but to this man will I look. God says, he who has a humble heart. And how does God define humility in that context? He says, he who is contract, contrite and has a humble heart and trembles at my word. Humility is clinically expressed by the fear that one has for God's word. It's a broad definition. When am I humble? I'm humble when I fear God's word and I choose to live by his word rather than my own opinion. Because everybody has an opinion about everything today. So if I divest myself of my opinion and I say I opt to obey God in that respect, that proves to me your humility. It starts God, everything starts God with, right? Watch, if humility evidences and expresses, or if if, you, if obedience is the evidence and the expression of humility, and if pride is the opposite to humility, we can therefore conclude that disobedience is the evidence and the expression of a prideful heart. Right? Do you know what? When you disobey God, you've manifested pride. Okay? You might think you're not proud. Let me submit to you. Please God with this thought. Every time I've disobeyed God, I've manifested pride. Why? Because proud, the, the proud man is so insistent upon his own way, his own view, his own thought pattern. And whether God says something completely different, I do it my way in total disregard for God's view on the matter. And that manifests you are full of yourself. Hmm? You're so full of yourself, you disregard God's view on it. Right? You think you're it. Right? So we don't think in pride of, in terms of these things. Let me demonstrate this to you by a, a few scriptures. Psalm 119 verse 21 says, You rebuke the, the arrogant or the proud, the cursed, will wander from your commandments. So who is the ones that wander away from God's commandments? The proud. Okay, they know what the commandment is. You say to yourself, let me give you a simple example. Again, I'm going to use money because we, it's something we all can relate to. You say you, you get your, your salary at the end of the month. Let's say 10,000 rand. And you know that you should tithe unto the Lord. Right? You say, God says that, but I say. The moment you say, God says, but I say, you've manifested pride. The humble heart bows the heart to observe God's way on the matter. But the proud heart stands in insurrection, opposing God's view on anything. You say, he hurt me, she hurt me, I have a grudge, I'm never forgiving. I'll never go out of my way to bless or to help that one because they hurt me. 
then you read the text. But bless those who, who, who say all manner of evil things against you and pray for them. If you can't bring yourself, let's say someone really riled you. If you can't bow the knee in prayer before God and say, uh, let me just use a Joash here. Let's say Joash done something harsh toward me. Father, I thank you for Joash. Okay, he's my enemy now. Bless him, Lord. I pray for his family that should keep them. I pray that should prosper him in everything he does. I pray even things like this to my enemies. I pray that you'd bless them much more than you would bless me, Lord. Now, to pray like that is healing for your own soul. Yeah? So I ask your neighbor, have you prayed for enemies recently? A simple, silly examples, but to demonstrate the point, if I insist, no, 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 no. He's my enemy. How can I adopt that position? The moment you don't adopt the biblical path on any matter, you're manifesting this. I am proud. And please note this. When we go through some of the, the actual examples in a moment, every time you manifest this, grace comes like the helicopter, the helipad. There's a helicopter of grace coming and says, I'm looking for a place to land. Oh, not here. Proud. Go here. Oops, not here. Proud. Right? The moment God sees pride, there's no context for grace to land. Right? No context for grace to land. Pride. You never know that you have it until you are presented with a, con with a circumstance that unearths the pride in you. You can think all you want to. That thing called pride, I don't have it. Until God puts you in the in a particular context or situation that unearths the pride in you. Now, Jeremiah 13, verse 9 and 10, also demonstrates how that disobedience is an, is an indicator of pride. Please listen. It says, Thus says the Lord, Just so I will destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem, the wicked people will refuse to listen to my words. And they walk in the stubbornness of their own heart. Okay? So here God chides Judah and Jerusalem for pride. And he explains the pride by a refusal to listen to my words. And you insist upon your own way, maintaining the stubbornness within your heart. Okay? So pride is manifested, just generally speaking, by any form of disobedience to God's word. You choose your stubborn way and you do not want to bow your heart to God's view on the matter. That is a, or a, a reflection of the pride of the heart. The absolute pride of the heart. Now, the most dangerous thing about pride. What is the most dangerous scripture you know about pride? Anybody? Yeah, God resists the proud. Another one, it comes before the fall, right? In other words, if you entertain pride, please know you will fall. Sooner or later, it's going gonna, it's gonna to depose you, right? Let me give you a couple of scriptures in reference to this. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Wisdom is a benefit of humility. But it says, with pride comes not grace, disgrace. Yeah? Disgrace is like an opposite of grace. If you're not full of grace, you'll lead to disgrace. 
Now you miss grace. So with pride comes disgrace. Now watch. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before the destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. The inevitable thing, the most predictable thing rather, that we know about pride from the Bible is that it will certainly lead to a fall of some kind. You will be destroyed by it. You know Nebuchadnezzar, after he built the great city, Babylon, remember? And he said, by my power have I built this city. The Bible says he refused to give glory to God. I want to encourage us, think long term. Think the next five years, think the next ten years. What will life be like for you? Will you be in a realm called fallen in the next five years? Disgrace? Or are you going to be in a realm called full of grace? I'm saying to my own heart, Lord, help me to be humble. Help me to deal with my pride. Even the little, little things, little indicators of pride, whatever it is in my life, please help me to take it out. I don't want nothing in my life repelling the grace of God, chasing grace away. Never want to come to disgrace, but I want to be full of grace. A man's pride, uh, Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble spirit will obtain honor. Isaiah 2, 12, the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and they shall be brought low. Proverbs 13, verse 10, listen, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Now please listen to the next set of verses. It tells us how abominable pride is, nauseating, disgusting pride is to the Lord. You see, you might think it innocuous or innocent. It's not that a bigger deal. Why is such a bigger deal? But notice how God views it. Proverbs 16 verse 5 says, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Surely he will not go unpunished. The same verse in the BBE version says, Everyone who has pride in his heart is disgusting to the Lord. That's a strong, strong way of referencing it. Eh? I don't want to be disgusting to the Lord. When God looks upon me, he must find pleasure in me. Okay? So pride is the thing that makes us disgraceful, abominable, disgusting, deplorable, nauseating to God. It's something uh, toward which he is so violently will position himself against because it stands in insurrection against everything that he holds dear as virtuous and precious to his own internal nature. So he will violently oppose anything that challenges that. Okay? So I want to encourage us, let's deal with our, let's deal uh, with our pride. Now, 1 John chapter 2, from verse 15 to 17. I'll get into some indicators, which we'll do for the next few weeks in a moment. But just to give you the broad sort of panoramic overview of this. 1 John 2, from verses 15 to 17, tells us the following. Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, what are the things that are in the world? tells you, if anyone loves the world, 
the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, what's in the world? Three things. He says, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. So what's in the world? Three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. I'm reading the NASB. The boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, and so is its lust, the three lusts. But the one who does the will of the Father or the will of God lives forever. So watch, it says, if you love the world, now obviously not, not the people. Uh, as Sam, Sam explained this beautifully when he said uh, the word cosmos for world can reference people or systems. Right? So this verse says, do not love the world. And you can say to me, but John 3.16 says, but for God so loved the world. The world, same Greek word is used, cosmos. But the word cosmos can reference multiplicity of things in, term, in reference to the context. When it says for God so loved the world, it means he loved humanity. When it tells us, do not love the world, it's telling us, do not love the system or the worldly operation governing the cosmos. Right? And it says, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. It lists three things in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Then it says this, which we're going to focus on, the boastful pride of, of life. Okay? I have seen some of the most gifted persons in the kingdom, yet full of pride, and they literally do not attain the fullness of their destiny in God. I've seen how pride kills destiny. If you don't deal with it, no matter how graced and gifted you are, you're not going to amount to anything. God cannot use a proud person. God cannot use arrogance. God cannot use someone that is puffed up, full of themselves. God says, I violently oppose you, even though you're my son. Can't deal with that spirit in you. Okay? Can't deal with, with pride. Here's the deal here. If, from 1 John 2.15, it says, if the pride of life is in you, the love for the Father cannot be in you. That's, that for me is dangerous. Right? It says, if these things are in you, you don't love the Father. These three lusts displace your love for the, for the Father. So pride erodes one's capacity to truly be intimate with God. A proud heart cannot be intimate with a heart of deity that is essentially a, a heart of humility. Right? The two are incompatible. There are two incompatible positions uh, contrasted here in 1 John 2. One is a heart filled with things that are in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life. And John says, if you love the world, the love for the Father or the love of the Father cannot be in you. Eh? Now, how many of us love the Father? We do. Yeah? And, I, and I'm saying to my Father, as you, we should all do, Lord, I want to, my love for you to be singular to be loyal, to be completely devoted. If there's any sense of pride in me, you might not realize it. It subtly erodes and displaces your claimed love for the Father. 
You see, you can say, I love you like we sang just now. <laughs> I love you, I love you, I love you. We can sing that, but that's verbiage. It's verbal. It's expressive from the tongue. But if I go out and I see my brother from another mother, another church, another network, <laughs> and I put myself in a superior position to him, I've just discounted my claim to love God. By my prideful position, my view in reference to another has discounted my verbal expression of see how much I love God. Yeah? So these things are so like um, subtle. They're not frontal, they're not blatant, but they subtly erode our capacity to love the Father. Okay? Now, so ask your neighbor, so are you proud? <laughs> eh? Does anybody know whether they have a pride problem or not? Eh? If I call a prayer line now and say, I'm going to pray for all the proud people, let's line up. You know, really speaking, there shouldn't be one of us left in our seat. Then, Let me submit to you. God's going to deal with you. God's going to deal with me. Because God loves us. God is saying, Randolph, I want you so prepared for grace download. Any, any little trace of pride in you, you've got to deal with. Otherwise, you can know the theory of grace. You can teach it powerfully, all the principles. But unless your humility pad, the humble heart, is thoroughly prepared, you're not going to be the grace uh, receiver to any great measure. Just three scriptures quickly. Proverbs 21 and verse 2 says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Watch. Every man's ways is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. You can think you are fine until God says, Come, let me check you out. God says, Let me weigh your heart. And I'm, I'm saying to all of us as Gate Ministries Durban Central, saying to this house, let's allow the Lord to weigh us in the next few weeks. God is saying, I'm going to check you guys out. You know why I'm serious about this? We have a great responsibility to do in the nations of the earth. And I would never want us for God to use us to any great measure. And we go two, three years down the line and God says, I have to stop because there are serious dispositions in the corporate mentality of your group. I need to deal with that. I, you, you, you'll be used up to a point, but you'll never go further unless you deal thoroughly with the issues of pride in the heart. Okay? So tell your neighbor, allow the Lord to weigh you. Allow the Lord to, to weigh you. You know when you jump on scales, they don't lie. <laughs> Some of us would like to recalibrate the scale before we get on. You know, put it like just slightly on the left of the zero put the zero to the right <laughs> so you jump on it gives you a false but God's scales tell you exactly how where you are okay so my prayer to the Lord in the next few weeks is Lord weigh me come on tell you never say Lord weigh me come on lift your hand and say Lord weigh us weigh us God must test our hearts see what is really in there and let me just say this allow the spotlight of the Holy Ghost to reveal the darkened areas of pride still remnant there, lurking somewhere in the recesses of your spirit. 
God is saying, I want to thoroughly extract the last indicators of pride within the heart. Isaiah 49 verse 16, B says, God says, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Later on, I'll, I'll speak about the connection between deception and pride. The proud heart is the most eligible to be deceived. If you are pride, you have enlisted as a candidate for deception. Right? It's easy to receive a proud person. Right? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 and 10. The heart is more deceitful above all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways and uh, according to the results of his deeds. God is saying, in this text, the heart is deceitful. If anything has the capacity to deceive you, it's your own heart. Right? Because your ways are right in your own eyes. Until the Lord's spotlight comes and shows you the error of your ways. You think you're fine. You think you're right until you come up for appraisal by the Lord himself. So it says, the heart, your heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. But it says, I, the Lord, I will search and I will test and try the heart. I, the Lord, will test and try the heart. Now, it's difficult for me to go through this list in any particular kind of order. I'll try to put this in some kind of order. In fact, the list is growing. <laughs> Indicators of pride. God is showing me, oh, there's pride here. And it's all from the scriptures. It's all from the scriptures. Okay. One of, let me just go to this. One of the I think the greatest indicator of pride is independence of God. If anyone thinks they can live without God, you are full of pride. You know, the world is so sick today. It is so difficult. It's becoming such a volatile context. Can you ever conceive of life outside of serving God? Anybody can think they can live life apart from, from serving God? Right? It is so critical to be connected to God in the present season and to be thoroughly plugged in. Do you know the original sin, Adam, the first man, his original sin was essentially a disconnection from his father. He chose to be his own man and not to live being dependent upon God resourcing him daily as he did in the garden. The Bible says every, every day the Lord God come would come down and commune with him in the garden. Not so. In the cool of the day, what was God's ultimate ideal? Adam, I put you as my steward over creation. Manage it on my behalf. But for you to do that successfully, you need to be thoroughly connected to me. Every day, I will come in spirit form, in the cool, the ruach, which is spirit, the cool of the day, and I will, I will feed your spirit, empower you as my agent, my son. Adam was the son of God. Luke, cha Luke chapter 1 tells us that. I think it's Luke 138. It says, Adam, the son of God. As Adam was a son, a representation of father. When he sinned, what he essentially did, what he was saying loud and clear to God, I don't need you to manage this planet. I can do it independently of of you. In fact, the first sin was a manifestation of pride. I can live life apart from you. Okay? 
We often say this analogy, Miles Monroe taught us this, that when God made fish, he made the fish. He said, who did he speak to? The waters, not so. Let the waters bring forth. When God made uh, crops, who did God speak to? What domain did he speak to? The earth. So let the earth bring forth crops. When God made the stars, to what di dimension did God speak to, to bring the result? He spoke to the firmament, to the gaseous environment. Let them bring forth stars, right, etc. But when God made man, who did God speak to? God spoke to himself to bring forth man. And so the principle is every created thing needs to remain in the context that God spoke to for the thing to survive. So if you take fish out of water, fish die. You take a plant out of the ground, take man out of God, man dies. You, the moment you think, I can be successful without him, you've just announced your death. Right? You know, this is elementary for us. Should be. But you know how easily, as mature as we think we are now, we can slowly, subtly cross the line. Where now you think, even in a business venture, in, in whatever thing you're busy with, um, even in the, the pursuit of a partner, in the pursuit of success in your workplace, in the pursuit even of growing this church, if you do something in the flesh, God simply stands back and He says, well, carry on without me. Do, carry on, no goes. Let's see how far you get. You know, God's a gentleman. He stands back from the process. You know, I love what David, David had success over the Philistines, right? And then the Bible says, and they came up him again, right? And he did not take it for granted that because I had success the first time, I can simply attack them the second time. The Bible says, he bowed his heart before the Lord and he asked the Lord, shall I go up against them? And in fact, God said, well, the third time, yes, but don't do it the way you first did it. God gave him not just authorization to do it, but God gave him a different methodology to do it. Your greatest success or your, your greatest hindrance to new success is prior success. If you think you're going to do it and get the same results the way you've always got it, you could just miss God. Moses, don't... Hit the rock this time. Simply speak to the rock. You'll get the same results. But you know what, what happens to us? We build up a repertoire of methodologies and formulas that have got us certain results. And we think we got a similar problem. We can simply engage the process without consultation with God. And we expect God's blessing upon us. That for me is a manifestation of pride. Listen carefully. Just tell you never repent now. <laughs> in my heart I'm repenting as I'm talking you know, you know what? we simply we, we are so routined we get up and we simply flow with the course of life without stopping and just for one moment stop and say God what is your view on this matter how do you feel about it am I doing the right thing am I pursuing the right path do I have your authorization to simply willy nilly without even a thought of how God feels about the matter, embark upon the process is a manifestation of pride in the heart because now you've chose to live independently of divine principles. Here's the amazing thing. People choose to live independently of God. But when the results go bad, 
you need, you will very quickly, wanting to live by God's principles then to solve the matter. I'm saying, why go the long way when there's an easier way? Amen? Why go the long way when there's an easier way? Renee is, is, is very good with this. Whenever God does something, listen carefully, she thanks God like, like over, over. Like overboard with thanksgiving. No? It's uh, the most simplest of things. But what has is, what is helped our family to recognize is, with, hey, without God, this family is kaputs. Without God, we are going nowhere very fast. Amen. Do we need God? Paul says, I live. What does he say in Galatians? I am dead, yet I live. But the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave his life for me, who died for me and gave his life for me. I live, yet not I. I live my life by the faith of the Son of God who gave his life for me. Uh, David said it like this, Whom have I in heaven but you? One of his Psalms. And he said, there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Then he makes this statement. My heart and my flesh, my humanity, many times they fail me. He said, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Okay. You see, you can't rely on the weakness of this fleshly nature of yours. It's too frail. It'll fail you all the time. God has got to be the strength of your life. Strength of your heart and your portion forever. Practice this, brethren. Practice this in case you take life or things too much for granted. Thank Him for the job that you have. How many people are grateful you're working? <laughs> you know what? Don't take things for granted. The things we have are the blessing of the Lord upon our lives. There are people far worse off than you. I thought I was bad with my flooding the other day. I just look up the road to my neighbor. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I'm not as bad as, as what happened. Thank you for your, your hand upon us. Amen. So do we need God? Yes, we need God. And I want to encourage you, consciously call your family together. If you're a husband or wife, express that without you, we can do nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do luto. You're going nowhere very fast, bro, without me. So always acknowledge Him, your need for Him, your dependence upon Him. Okay? Always do that. And then, uh, in reference to this, the next point is self-reliance as a prideful indicator. When you rely upon your own expertise, your own ingenuity, skill sets that God has graciously endowed you with as the basis upon which you derive all your successes from. Now listen carefully. God has blessed you with certain talents that you must use in your bid to be successful in the thing that he's called you to do. Yes, we must use those, but we don't lay great store by them as the reasons for our success. We must always defer to giving God glory. Always. Say, God, it's not within myself, it's because of you. Here's a great passage in reference to this. It's first or Second Corinthians 3, from verse 4 to 6. Such confidence, Paul speaking, such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate. I like the terms he used. He says, not that we are adequate within ourselves 
to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The King James says, our sufficiency. I like the King James here. It says, I think I have it somewhere. We are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient. Amen? Your adequacy, your sufficiency is of the Lord. Listen to how the New Living Translation frames the same verse. Watch. Listen with your spirit. We are confident. All of this is because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He alone has enabled us to be ministers of a new covenant. Right? Any kind of enablement, ability, sufficiency you think you have is not innately yours. It's been given to you by God. And you need to acknowledge that. You know, listen, it's little things like this that will recruit God's attention. I can give you case study of the case study in the scripture when men, and next week probably we'll look at King Uzziah as a classic case study. You are humble. God used you. You rose up. And when you were successful, you thought, he said, by my own power, by my own strength, I've gotten all of this. And God simply takes the cover away. He says, okay, problem. You refuse to acknowledge me. Simple things like acknowledgement. Saying it's not me, it's you. Lest I think it's me. Without you, I can do nothing. Right? These little things we must be very, very aware of. Okay? Now, I want to do to close off with one particular expression of pride that is, is quite important. Just, just before we get there, there's another one that, is, that relates to the first two that we've discussed. So the first one is independence of God. Second is self-reliance. Thirdly, uh, which is all akin, they're all related to some degree, is being strong in your own strength versus being strong in the grace of God. Paul said this to Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.1, you must remember this text. He said, my son Timothy, you therefore be strong where? Be strong in the grace of Christ. Right? Uh, Nehemiah, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Where is my strength? Where is your strength? My strength and your strength is where? It's in the Lord. Right? Again, elementary, simple. But if you violate it, see these repercussions. My strength and my confidence is in the Lord. David said to Goliath, you come to me with spear and sword, but I come to you how? He does not reference any credentials that he has in reference to, the, to Goliath. He says, I simply come to you in the name. What does the word name suggest to you? We, we know this. I taught you this, I think, last year sometime. Several things the word name suggests in Scripture. Come on, who remembers? 
nature, the nature of Christ. Function of Christ. And thirdly, authority. The authority of Christ. So what was David saying? I come to you in the nature of God. I come to you because the purpose or the function of God for Israel rests in me. I come to you not based on my own authority. I come to you in the authority of Jehovah God. So don't look at the sling and the stone and think your big shield and sword that these that, that my armory is nothing compared to you. Look at what I represent in the spirit. And beware, Goliath. Today, he said, I'm taking your head off. Told the guy, today, have one last look at your head. Because you will never see your head again. Because it will be decapitated from your body. You see that? I'm just joking, right? Paraphrasing. Right? He's saying it. But what, how does he reference his strength? Right? How does he reference his strength? You know, it's only to king. Who was the king? King Saul. Only when King Saul called him, King Saul, when he wanted to go fight the giant, what did he say to King Saul? King Saul said, what are your credentials that you want to fight this warrior that is putting the whole army of Israel in fear for the past 40 days? You come on the 40th day, little, little shepherd boy, what are your credentials? Well, he said, my only thing I know is, Dad said, look after the sheep. I was faithful. I was obedient to Dad, to Papa. A lion came, I killed the lion with my bare hands. Next day a bear came, I killed the bear with my bare hands. And he says, so what is this uncircumcised Philistine? David's mind is, watch, if I pursue purpose looking after dad's sheep, purpose is my empowerment. My issue is not fighting bears and lions. My issue is preserving the purpose of Papa. Please get the revelation. My issue is preserving the purpose of my father in the execution of a task. I become empowered to deal with obstacles. You let David go fight bears and lions outside of looking after sheep. Those things will slaughter him. But within the ambit of him fulfilling purpose, authority and empowerment are given to him. So when he comes before Goliath, listen carefully. He only said, he referenced the bear and the sheep to King Saul. But before the enemy, he says, you come to me with spear and sword. But I do not come to you based on any great thing I have done. My authority is only in the person of the one whom I represent. I've come in his nature. I've come with the sense of purpose governing my life. Right? I've come with a mission. And I've come not in my own authority. I've come to you in the name of of the Lord of hosts, of the armies of Israel. Amen. So I want to encourage you. You see, next time, watch. Who, who loves grace and who wants more grace? Yes? Do you know where grace works pow most powerfully? Grace works most powerfully when the human doesn't think or hold great store by his own humanistic resources. When you are weak, Paul says, then I am strong. We must not, we must be confident in what God called us to, but not arrogant. The moment you feel, been that before, done that, walk in the park, I'll just do as I've done in times past. Who was like that? Who said those words? I will rise up as in times before. 
and I will take on these Philistines. But he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. Never ever, you know, the, the fright, my definition of hell would be not hearing God's voice. I would rather even hear God's voice give me a hiding. Rebuke me, correct me. As long as God's speaking to me, I'm very happy. But the moment God takes his spirit and takes his voice from me, that's my definition of hell. Samson got up one day and the Bible says he did not know that the spirit of God had left him. Why? Basing his intended success on prior success. He said, I will get up as I've always done in times previous and I'll do my thing routinely, automatically, as a matter of course. Even in a marriage, you must say, that you two as a couple must say to the Lord, God, we need you even in the marriage. You know, when we were married, my prayer to the Lord, and we prayed, I remember we joined hands one day and we prayed and we had finalized the guest list. It was a lot of people that whittled down to so many. There were two churches involved and we were both fully involved functionally in both churches and you know we and and we i prayed i said to the lord we pray I remember praying this prayer we joined hands says, lord thank you for all the, the the preparations and everything everything is set the day is set people are coming and we said to the lord but if you don't come it will not be a marriage i said to the lord above everything else we value your presence at the gathering right what was that that was saying, we're not just going to go to the run of the mill and do this thing as a matter of course. We paused and we turned our eyes to the heavens and we said, God, we need you. Even in the, the, the marriage, we need you. In the statement of our vows, etc., we need you. Without God, we are going nowhere very, very fast. Without Him, we are going nowhere very fast. One, okay, so that's self-reliance, okay? Um, so independence of God, self-reliance, and being strong in your own strength versus being strong in the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands, beware, lest he falls. Don't think you are so strong that nothing can, can affect you, nothing can unseat you. Take every necessary precaution to protect yourself against temptation. Okay? Take every necessary precaution. When you think you are strong and you can handle certain contexts, God says, beware lest you, beware lest you fall. Okay? So put structures in place in your life that safeguard you from, from falling. If you think you are strong, and you permit yourself to go to a context that is highly tempting for you to fall, sometimes you can fall laying great store in the fact that you are strong within yourself to war off the force of that temptation. Okay? What did Joseph do when, when Potiphar's wife suggested that he sleep with her? He left his coat and ran. He should have taken the coat rather. That coat always got him into big trouble. With the, with the brothers, they were jealous of the coat. Yeah, with Potiphar's wife. She literally forced herself on him. And in the struggle, she grabbed the coat. Right? She must have said, I can't have the man, I'll have his coat. <laughs> okay. 
And the Bible says he ran away. He should have grabbed it because the Bible says she used that as evidence against him that he tried to rape her. And that landed the man in jail. But I like his stance. He said, I am Joseph. He didn't say, I am Joseph. I can withstand this temptation. Me, you know, who's my dad. Hey, I come from, my grandfather is Abraham. My papa is uh, Jacob, great-grandfather, Abraham, grandfather, Isaac. Uh, Isaac. <laughs> my, grand, my father is Isaac. You know, we come from a great apostolic house, global house. Right? I am strong in the Lord. I can withstand this temptation. He physically removed himself from the room. Didn't stand and say, no, I can withstand this lady. Right? Sometimes you have to balega, <laughs> to use a, a Zulu term. You kick down. Right? Right? You run. I want to encourage us all. This is a, I don't know why I'm focusing on this. I think it's the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. I'm saying to us, to, for all of us, some of you have been dealing with temptations in your flesh to which you are prone to come, succumb to, and it scares you that you can so easily fall there. I'm saying to you by the Spirit today, don't allow your pride to think that I can carry on like this and nothing major will happen to me. If you maintain that prideful position, you won't have the attendant grace to deal with the issue. Sometimes you must set up structures in your life that help you to deal with the force of the temptation. If it's removal of yourself from the context, physically remove yourself from it. If it's taking another with you, then take somebody with you. Right? I like to travel with somebody. At times I'd be forced to travel alone, but it's not my preferred methodology of traveling. Um, Sean has traveled with me on most of my uh, 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 international trips. You know why it's good to travel with someone? It's safe on so many fronts to travel in company with, with somebody. Okay? Safe on so many fronts to travel with someone. Um, and I want to encourage you. Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. There's wisdom in that. Great wisdom in that. Amen? So tell your neighbor, be wise. Be wise. Okay? I want to close. Okay, I said I'm close. I'm closing now. Okay? One last expression of pride that I think we must, we, we've got to focus on. Listen carefully to this. This is Judges 18, verse 27. Judges 18 and verse 27. I want to read this and in the next five minutes challenge you as we close with this thought. The next expression of pride is isolationism, individualism, staying away from the corporate community of the body of Christ and thinking you will be fine on your own. I don't need church. I don't need the body of Christ. I will be fine on my own. We've dealt with this under the the, the theme of the gathering of the saints of God. But as I was praying last night, the Holy Spirit says you need to remind the people of this again. Now watch. Judges 18 and two verses here. Verse 27. They took what Micah had made and the priest and bro oh, sorry, and the priest who had belonged to him. Let me read it again, sorry. Then they took what Micah had made and the priest who had belonged to him and they came to Laish. Everyone say Laish. And notice the people of Laish describes them a people quiet and secure. And struck them down with the edge of the sword. 
So the people of, in the city of Laish were completely destroyed by the, an enemy, struck down with the, with the edge of the sword, and they burned the city with fire. Now, yes, the sad commentary on this, the next verse is, there was no one to deliver them or to help them because it was far from Sidon, and they had no dealings with anyone. And it was in a valley which was near Beth, Rehob, and they rebuilt the city and they lived in it. Now, listen carefully. The people were quiet and secure. There was the absence of turmoil, the absence of any threat of danger. People of Laish were quiet and secure. But it was a false security because they were a city totally isolated from any kind of um, interaction and dependency with other cities. When in the moment of their destruction, in the day of their destruction, there was nobody to help, the Bible says, because they were too far from the city of Sidon. Right? And they thought that they could survive without any kind of relationship with others. Now please listen carefully. Laish means old lion. Old, so they have experience. Lion, they have strength. Right? They have, they have a historical patterns of strength attendant with the city. And the Bible says that the men came in and totally obliterated and totally destroyed them. Now, the Bible says they were in a valley which was near a city called Beth Rehob. And Beth Rehob means the city of breath or the city of largeness, like Rehoboth, breath. Beth means house of, so Beth Rehob means house of largeness or house of, house of breath. But they were vulnerable because they were in a valley. They were in a valley. The sad thing about this particular incident is a phrase, too far. Everyone say, too far. It says there was no one to help them because they were too far from Sidon. Now Psalm 20, listen carefully, says this. Psalm 20, get the text. Psalm 20 and verse 2 says, May God send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Okay? Sidon and Zion, not the same thing, but listen carefully. What does Zion represent? The church. So the Bible says God in the season, listen carefully, is going to give you help from His sanctuary. And He's going to send you support from where? Where is your support going to come from in this season? From the context of the body of Christ. Right? Remember, Haman alludes to individuality. The word Haman. It means loud. It means uh, tumultuous. But it also alludes to isolationism. Individualism. Haman is an individual. As opposed to Esther, she's more corporately minded. She makes personal sacrifices for the corporate good. Your greatest threat, listen carefully today, is the sense of individualism and isolationism where you think I can stay away from the context and survive all on my own. I don't need the body of Christ. The way the world is going, you're going to need the body of Christ more in these days than like any time previously. We're going to need each other more. So listen carefully. In the day of your own destruction, don't be too far. 
You might be right living right next to us where we gather, but you can be far in your heart. You can be distance in your mentality. Right? And I want to encourage us. There's going to be immunity attached to the corporate house. Protection, help will come from the sanctuary. Help will come from the corporality of the, the community of the body of Christ. It's not, we are the body of Christ and members individually it says. But no one member can survive in this season on his own. We need each other now more than ever before. Amen. So I want to encourage you to have a new respect for and appreciation of family. Okay, you want to say family. I mean, are we family? Yes, we are. We are family. And you know, in a day of crisis, you know this in your own biological families. When one family member is beset by something, it's amazing our family rallies together and is able. How much more in the family of God? Pride is thinking, I can stand aloof, stand away, even though you come every week, but in your heart you can be dislocated too far. I want to submit to you this morning that disposition is a manifestation of pride in your heart. If it's pride, God says, I oppose you, no grace for you. Grace will be in the context, but not on you. Huh? If you are isolationist, uh, there's another expression of pride, which I won't get into now, which is division. Right? The Bible strongly indicates he who sows division amongst brothers as an indicator of a proudful heart. Right? But he who loves the body will foster relationships, loving relationships within the house of God. Amen. So I want us to stand this morning. I want us to join hands even across the aisles. If we can. It is so easy to leave God out of our lives. So easy. We don't think that we're actually doing it because it doesn't bear reference. It's only in the moment when we experience the disastrous consequences of an act or decision or mentality that we say, God, I left you out of this one. God is saying, I just want to be included in everything you do. I want you to acknowledge me to include me, to ask for my view, my perception, to simply willingly go about doing what you're doing without um, even a thought for how God feels about the matter is an indication of pride in the heart. And God is saying, my son, my daughter, I cannot do any more with you going forward if you don't get this matter right. This morning, we are serving notice on independence of God. We're not, we're not independent of God. We are thoroughly dependent on God. If ever we need you, it's going to be now more than ever before. I'm not going to go into the next phase without even acknowledging, lifting up my hand and say, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. In fact, we can sing that in a moment. right? And then I want us to also focus on this. Lord, I don't want to be self-reliant. I know you've given me skill sets. You've given me abilities and talents. But... I'm not adequate of myself. My adequacy, my sufficiency comes from you, like Paul says. And then thirdly, I don't want to be strong in my own strength. 
If ever I have a strength, it must be in the grace of God. You must be able to say like Paul, I work, yet not I. It's the grace of God. Paul consciously reminded himself, all of my success, it's not me, it's grace. I work, not me. It's grace. When people praise you, respond. It's not me, it's the grace of God. Don't take glory for what God is doing. Always defer glory to the Lord. Defer it consistently to the Lord. And then fourthly, lastly, say to yourself, I'm not going to be too far from the corporate nature of the body of Christ, lest in the moment of my greatest need, I'm totally destroyed because I was too far and there was no one to help. Help comes from the sanctuary. There's immunity here. There's immunity. So let's, let's pray together. I need the oh, I need the every hour, every hour, I need. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us. And today we just want to stop in our journey. We want to stop the normalcy of our lives, the continuance of a program that perhaps some of us have set up even in our flesh, without consultation with you, or without presenting the matter to you. Forgive us for our pride in that regard. Father, we repent of that proudful stance where we have done anything the most innocent of things and it's violated an intent in your own heart today we want to seek your forgiveness and your mercy in reference to it forgive us for we have gone astray every one of us have turned our own way forgive us for wandering away from the commandments of the Lord forgive us for our prideful disposition today father we ask that we will commit to a humility of heart that regards and acknowledges God for every single thing. Father, today we thank you for the most basic of things that you have graciously given to us. We thank you for your goodness, for your many blessings over our lives. Just lift up your hands for one moment and just, uh, just thank the Lord for all that you have. For there are so many others that don't have uh, nowhere near the things that we enjoy. Just thank Him that and acknowledge that is these things are from His hand. Acknowledge today that your adequacy and your sufficiency, any ability that is natural and innate to you, that it doesn't have a source in you, but it comes from Him. Let's give Him honor. Let's give Him glory. Just magnify His name. I want to encourage you, church, as you do this, God will open up the next phase. When he sees your reliance, your dependence is upon him and not of your own. There's no telling what the Lord will do.
terms of opening up to us a brand new realm of his of his doing of his blessing of his orchestration of his purposes in and through our lives father we bless you we honor you magnify your name we magnify your name hallelujah it's because of you and only you father hallelujah I'll just go around. I want you just just for two minutes or so. Just hug as many people as you can. Don't go through everybody, obviously. But just express your love for the corporality of the body of Christ. You see, God has put you in this body. But as you greet someone, just give them a hug and say, tell them this, do not be too far. Do not be too far from me, amen? Don't distance yourself. Thank you, Father. Just hug someone and say, don't be too far.